Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Here with you guys this morning, just one of the, the life-changing messages and realities that I came to discover as a, as a child of God, which really kind of catapulted me into me being here this morning and me having made a decision since uh, 2012 to actually forsake also to speak and really step into what God has called us to as His, as His sons and daughters. And the, the life shattering uh, truth, uh, shattering in the sense that um, maybe this is going to be a life shattering truth that you're going to hear this morning, um, in the sense that you've you've believed something different to this and you've invested into something different than this and now it's kind of shattering your whole life so to speak because you've believed the lie or you've been deceived so to speak and don't be afraid thinking that you might be in a boat of sitting in deception because uh, coming to realize the truth should be exciting amen if you if you deceive currently as you're sitting here and I share something with you that is life-giving, and the scales come off of your eyes, that should be exciting. It might be uncomfortable in the beginning, right? As many things that you hear for the first time, or, or things that you, you, you kind of have believed the opposite. But when we see it in God's Word, which I did, man, you, you, you give it a second thought, and then you kind of investigate, and you get into it, and then before you know it, your life is completely turned around. 180 degrees. So that truth was that God is not holding my sin against me. God is not holding your sin against you. You need to realize this because if you don't realize this, if you don't believe this, you'll always live a life unsure about your relationship with God, unsure about where do you stand with Him. Any of you have a relationship where you're unsure where you stand with someone? Like at one moment, you're like, man, this is going amazing, and you know exactly where you're standing with them. And then the next moment, it's just like, it's a different person. And it, there's just like, that you being unsure in that relationship affects your relationship, right? The amount of time you want to spend with that person, because you're not sure. We all crave surety, security. And in relationships where there's surety, where there's security, we draw to those things, the known. And this is one thing that you need to realize about God, that He's not holding your sin against you, because when you come to realize this, you'll have surety, you'll have security in your relationship with God. And whenever you do something stupid, whenever you're stepping into sin and you're giving over to sin, it's not going to withhold you going to God and just saying, thank you, Father, for this forgiveness and that you've paid for this bit of stupid that I've done now. Thank you, Father, that your, your power inside of me is the enabling to live free from this sin. Because that's an amazing thing with God's grace. It's not just forgiveness of sin, and it's not even just, a, it's not this, this silly concept of a license to sin. You're sinning before you've even heard the message of grace. So how can grace be a license to sin if you're already sinning before you hear the message of grace? You got it. So if someone ever tells you grace is just a license to sin, then just ask them, how are you currently doing? Do you have sin in your life? And they most likely say, yes, I do then it's not a license to sin. But what grace does, it gives you and it shows you the nature and the character of God and the payment for your sin. But on the other side, grace is also the enabling, the empowering to live free from that sin. 
because it comes to change your nature. And the only way to live free from sin is to have a nature change. Because an apple tree, tree, what's that? Uh, an apple tree is, is created to bear what? Pears or bananas? Apples. An apple tree was created to bear apples. A sinner, by default, will sin. So if you see yourself as a sinner, always needing to appease God, always needing to have a nature change, you're always going to default to how you see yourself, how you see your relationship with God. Let's get into the Word and then I'll share some more with you. Let's open up Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to focus primarily and zone into this amazing passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. All of this shouts and, and echoes this message that God loves us unconditionally, without condition, that God is not holding our sin against us. And you might sit here and wonder, like, but how can you say that because the, the Word says that or the Word says that. Oftentimes we, we, we have responses to a radical statement like, God is not holding my sin against me or God is not keeping a record of my sin because what we've come to believe about God largely is a result of me building my relationship with God based on what another person said. Me building my relationship with God based on some teaching that I heard. Listening to teaching is good. But if the teaching doesn't point you to the Word, stop listening to teaching. The purpose of teaching, and I love the, the, when, I, when I came to realize this truth, because it changes the way that you bring the Word of God across. The purpose of teaching is not for someone to use their gift of teaching. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of me teaching you this morning is not for me to be obedient to teach or for me to use my gift and for me to experience just the, the, the presence and the anointing of God while I'm teaching. The purpose of teaching is for you to understand. The purpose of me teaching you this morning is for you to understand something about God, about your nature, about your character. Because if you come to understand something, guess what? It will change you. Because understanding brings fruitfulness. Understanding brings about transformation. And so that's the purpose of teaching. That's the purpose of getting into the Word. And so at Grace Life, if you're joining us for the first time, you're going to get a lot of Word. Because we point you to the Word. We point you to the source of life transformation. That is Jesus and Jesus through the Word. So Hebrews 10, I'm going to kick off here at the beginning. And so we're looking at why am I standing here this morning and my why is Jesus and one of the truths of Jesus and Christianity that really shaped my life is this reality that God is not holding my sin against me. So Hebrews 10, and this is a truth that I believe will, if you've already come to know this truth, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's guidance and His ministry, He'll illuminate this truth to you, He'll, he'll even uh, give you a deeper understanding of this truth so that you can bear even more fruit in this arena because Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the, 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 the body of Christ. And one of the greatest things that Satan does, the devil does, he comes to accuse you of the wrongs that you've done, the, the, the mistakes you've made, the sin that you're choosing to live in. And so he can only accuse you and point finger to you 
if you're allowing Him to. If you don't believe that God is not accusing you, God is not holding your sin against you, God is not judging you. But you need to base that truth on the Word because otherwise Satan is going to eat your lunch and he's going to pop the bag. He's going to run circles around you and your life will look like a roller coaster. Your relationship with God will one moment be up and then the next moment down. Then it's up and then it's down. At church when worship is going, it's up and it's amazing and it's goosebumps. Then Monday coming when you're at work and you did something wrong. I don't want to use examples. Uh, I don't want to uh, make you think that I'm operating in the word of knowledge or anything like that. Um, But when you're doing something stupid, the only way for you to have a consistent growing relationship with God and maturing in your relationship with God is by laying this foundation and laying it thick. Because relationships need security. We need to be confident in our relationships. Otherwise, they won't be healthy. In the same way with God, we need to be confident of where we stand with Him. And we stand in His presence. Each one of you, if you've received the Spirit of God, you've become the the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You've become the dwelling place of God. Say, I am God's address. That's what it means, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are His presence. We are His address. 1 Corinthians 6, 7 says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with Him. You are one with God. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. It doesn't matter what type of mistakes you make and what kind of sin you are living in. He doesn't leave you. Why? Because the only way for you to come out of that is by Him pulling you out of that. And you taking all of His hand. So Hebrews 10 Verse 1 to 4 from the King James Version says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So the law was a shadow of good things to come, meaning that the law wasn't corrupt, and this is now specifically talking about the law of Moses and all of the other hundred laws, but the law of Moses was a shadow of good things to come. Meaning, for a time being, the law did something good. For the time being, the law kept people as much as it could from living in sin. Right? And so, if you look at this, this concept of a shadow, I don't have a shadow here this, this morning, but a shadow is only like a, a silhouette of someone's body, of someone's actual being, right? It's not, it's not the reality. All of us understand that. You don't have conversation with someone's shadow. That's going to be weird. If you are having conversation with someone's shadow, then, then stop or come up for prayer. I'd love to minister to you. Um, but that, that's not the way that it should be. We are supposed to have relationship with the reality, with Hannes, not with his shadow over there. And the same way with God... We're supposed to have relationship with the reality. And that's why it's a, our, our slogan, so to speak, Grace Life, Discover the Reality of Christianity, because there's a, there's a lot of shadows in the Word, but the shadow had a purpose, to point to the reality. And so it uses this, this uh, 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 picture language to draw this analogy. So the law had a shadow of good things to come, but it was not the very image of the things. So it wasn't the reality. 
Because this shadow could never with those sacrifices, so it's not talking about linking uh, specifically the sacrificial system of the law where um, the, the, the people brought their sacrifices year by year to, to, uh, to pay for sins. And it goes on to explain this and says, For they, verse 2, would, would they have not ceased to be offered, meaning that if this was the answer, if this was fixing the problem, they would have stopped bringing the sacrifices. But they didn't stop. It was a continual thing, year after year after year, bringing sacrifices. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there's a remembrance again made of sins everywhere, every year. So first of all, it didn't solve the problem, but secondly, it also reminded people of their wrongs. Let's continue, I'll come back to that thought. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So what is it not possible to do? Take away sins. So the, the, the system was a shadow. It, it had a, a picture of, of, of something good to come, but it was pointing to something. It was like a, um, traveling from Cape Town to Johannesburg, God forbid. But uh, if you had to now go to Johannesburg, there would be signposts along the way. So many kilometers, uh, um, three sisters or, or Lanesburg, and, and, and you follow the, the, the road signs, it's pointing you to somewhere, right? It's giving you an indication. And so this is what this was doing. It was pointing us to something to come. This was not the answer. This was not the solution. Verse 5. So when Jesus, the Messiah, came into the world, He said, Since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with the body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings, offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and to do your will, to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. What did Jesus came to do? His last words on the cross. It is finished. Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus came to complete. If it's complete, if it's fulfilled, what does that mean? I always think about the, the analogy of the, the Mona Lisa. When Leonardo da Vinci put his final, final uh, stroke of the brush on the, on the painting, the Mona Lisa, he probably exclaimed, it is finished, it is complete. And at that moment, if anyone else, including himself, came to try and add to it, what would they do? Wreck it. Mess it up. Because there was a moment where it was complete, where it came to fulfillment. Perfection. And so often what we try and do as Christians, we, we try and say in a, in a very nice way. Because we won't say it in a rude way, right? Jesus, I know you did something, but... I'm going to add to this. I'm going to add another brush stroke, so to speak, to this perfect painting, this completion of a work that you came to do. And that happens in various, in various ways. And one of them being the topic that we're talking about this morning. Jesus is not holding your sin against you. And we're going to jump to this verse, or I'll jump to it and then I'll come back to verse, verse 8. And it says in verse 10, it's actually in verse 17. Verse 17 says, He then goes on to say, And their sins and their law breakings I'll remember no more. 
their sins and their law breaking, I'll remember no more. David writes about this prophetically. I believe it's in Psalm 100 and 102 or 103. And he writes about this and he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed their transgressions from them. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed their transgressions, their sins from them. What does removed mean? Does it mean hidden? Removed means removed, it's no longer. And so David prophetically wrote about this, knowing there's a coming Messiah, coming to complete something, to come and fulfill something. John the Baptist, when he see, saw Jesus coming on, John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, writing about the old sacrificial system, the animal sacrifices, and he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, the animal sacrifice, so to speak, that will come and take away the sin of the world. Why could Jesus take away the sin of the world? Why could Jesus be the animal sacrifice, so to speak, to take away the sin of the world? I had a conversation with someone this week, and this is a very important topic to understand. Jesus being born of a virgin wasn't just for God showing His, His power and a miracle. It had to be a virgin birth. If it was not a virgin birth, Jesus would not have been a, uh, a sinless man. Because He would have had the nature of Adam. And guess what nature that is? The nature me and you had before we received Christ. Sinner by nature. But when we receive Christ, we receive His nature. Some of you don't believe me. Let's go to Romans. When we receive Christ, we receive His nature. Romans chapter 3. Let's see. Uh, there's a lot that we can get in here in, in Romans. Okay, let's look at Romans. I want to encourage you guys to just go and uh, read through the whole whole chapter three. There's there's so much good in here, specifically talking about righteousness, the topic of righteousness coming coming in here. And what does righteousness mean? Maybe you're thinking here this morning, what's righteousness? In Afrikaans, it's gerechtigheid. It's a, it's a word, gerechtigheid. It's a difficult one. You have to say that a few times. Um, what is righteousness? What is gerechtigheid? It's a, it's a term that we don't often hear and we don't often have, have connection with that when the word is read or the word is, is talked about in church, it just like kind of goes over our head. What is righteousness? In its simplest form, it is you having right standing with God. Meaning, you have right relationship with God. 24-7. Not just when you're doing good. You have a 24-7 right standing with God. Why? Not because you're doing right, but because you've been made right. I'm going to say that again. You have right standing with God, not because you are doing right, but because you believe right. Because you were made right through right belief. Let's see here. It says, Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. How are we justified? By faith. Faith in what? Faith in your works? 
No, faith in Jesus' perfect work. Verse 21 says, The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So here again, it's talking about the, 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 the law and the prophets, and they're foreseeing the, 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 the promise to come, being this. The righteousness of God without the law. The law was the shadow of a reality, but it was not the reality. We are experiencing the reality, and Paul writes about this in Colossians, and he, and he, and he writes about the reality of or the mystery that was concealed from, from times past is Christ in you. That is the mystery known, Christ in you, the Spirit of God living in man. That is what we are experiencing today. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 quickly. Talking about righteousness and, and right belief. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21. This is talking about Jesus and it says, For He has made Him talking about Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. He knew no sin because His nature was righteous. He, was, he had a holy nature. He was not born of Adam, meaning that He was not born of a sinful nature. For He had made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We are made righteous. We don't become righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. But by faith in Christ, we are made righteous. And so when Hebrews 10 verse 17 says then, he goes on to say, and their sins and their lawless deeds will I remember no more. We need to take into account that God chooses not to remember our sins. So we have to ask ourselves this question, because this is what the word says. Our sins and our lawless deeds will he remember no more. David wrote about this. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from us. Isaiah prophesies about this. The same thing. God dealing with our sins. God is not keeping record of your sins. God does not have a black book where he's recorded all of your wrongdoing. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that God is not keeping record of your sins. So we have to have a follow-up question. If God is not keeping record of my sins, why am I? If God is choosing to not remember your sins, why are you remembering your sins? Now some of you are thinking about that sin that you committed 10 years ago or 15 years ago or however many years ago. But I'm not... That is included in you remembering your sin. But I'm even talking about the sin that you remembered last night when you prayed and asked God for forgiveness. That is included in your remembrance of your sin. Here's an illustration for you guys. They haven't asked me for my Bible. In a kinder way, in a nicer way. Okay, so Devon asked here, for those who could not hear, please give me my Bible. There you go, Devon. Uh, 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 just wave it in the air there. Cool. Does Devon have my Bible? Good stuff. I don't have my Bible. Devon has my Bible. Devon asked me for my Bible. Who of you think Devon is a little bit silly now? 
Why is Devon silly? He's got something, right? He's got my Bible. When Jesus died, He died for your sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. As we read now, animal sacrifices didn't do it. Jesus died for your sin. He paid for your sin. He sacrificed Himself. He became sin for you. Jesus forgave you your sins. So when you respond to that gift of life and you receive forgiveness because it's something received, it's not something forced on you because that's free will. That is ultimate love is when you give someone free will. That is why the world is in the mess that it is because God gave us free will, freedom of choice. But without free will, there won't be love. If you're in a relationship where you love that person or they love you, but you didn't give them a choice to love you, it's not true love. True love has to demonstrate and give freedom of choice. So this gift of of forgiveness, the gift of Jesus dying for our sins, is a gift, but it needs to be received. But once you've received forgiveness of your sins... It would be silly to ask for forgiveness of your sins if you've already received something. You guys get the analogy? Now what I'm not saying is apologize or or, or feel remorseful over when uh, you're sinning or when you're hurting someone else. But what I'm saying is you don't need to ask for something that you've already received. But you can praise God for something you've received. Maybe it doesn't seem like a a big deal or a big change, it makes the world a difference. When you start seeing yourself as, I am forgiven, I am righteous, I don't need to beg for forgiveness or become righteous or, or, or try and make up for all of this wrongdoing and I need to work and I need to get into God's books and then I make a few mistakes again and then I'm backslidden and now I'm all the way over here and now I have to work again. Let's work, let's, let's do good. Okay, now I'm like kind of in God's good books again. That kind of thinking and that kind of mindset of your relationship with God is the very reason why the church is in the state that it is. Because there's no confidence in a relationship like that. There's no empowering in a relationship like that. I know this firsthand. I lived in that place where I was never sure. Like now I'm asking for forgiveness, but I've done this now a few times. Like, where do we draw the line? Where's God going to draw the line? He's like, okay, cool, now it's, it's enough. You're out. There's no line with God. Jesus died for your every sin. Past, present, and future tense sin. How can I say Jesus died for your future tense sin? It's very simple, because all of your sin was future tense. Because Jesus died way before you existed. Jesus died for every sin of yours, past, present, and future tense sins. But Jesus didn't just pay for that, those actions of sin, but He also made a way for you to receive a new nature so that you can live free from that sin, from that addiction that you're living with. We're coming to a close. Let's jump down to verse 8 in Hebrews 10. It says, First He said, Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. 
And then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, say remove. Remove means it's gone. It's no longer. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes. Say abolishes. What does abolish mean? No longer. Gone. He abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with the new covenant. Say new. New means different. Verse 10. By God's will, we have been purified. What tenses have been? Is it present tense, future tense? It's past tense. This is a done deal through what Jesus accomplished. We have been purified. All we need to do is respond to accept us. We have been purified and made holy. How do we? Is this becoming holy? Is this working for holiness? No, we are made holy. We are made righteous. And as we see in 2 Corinthians and in Romans, it talks about through faith. Through faith. Why does faith in its simplest form? It's responding to God's grace. Faith is responding to God's grace. Faith is believing God. Believing what He did for us. We've been purified and made holy once and for all. How long have been made, we've been made holy for? For a moment? When we're in church? How long is this holiness going to last for? Until I do my next act of sin, then until I go for asking and doing repentance and going sitting in a booth and doing confession. How long is this, this holiness lasting for? We've been made holy once and for all. This is a difficult concept for the religious mind because the religious mind is a mind of performing. Cool? I do good, then I get good. I do bad, I get bad. That's not our God. That's not the kind of relationship that God desires for you. He's a God of love. Who made a way where there was no way. Romans, Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You could not save yourself. You needed saving. God died for you in that state. While we were still a sinner. Some translations say while we were enemies of God. He died for you. That is His love. And when we respond to that love, we are made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. And then like I said, verse 17, And their sins and their law-breaking will I remember no more. I never knew where I stood with God. My relationship with Him was up and down. One moment I was super confident and I would share with people and I would pray to God and I would have fellowship with Him and, I, and then the next moment it would just be like I did something silly and then a day, two days, three days would go by, weeks would go by and I would, would just withdraw from God because of a guilty conscience. What did the animal sacrifices do year by year? Reminded people of their sins. That's not God's heart. That's not His desire. That's why Jesus came once and for all. He died one time. For all time. For all sin. So that we won't need to be reminded of our sin. So we should not remember our sins. So that we should remember Jesus. Him being the payment for our sins. And that brings a confidence in our relationship with God. So that when we do something silly. 
we just go down on, you, on our knees and we say, thank you, Father, that you paid for this piece of stupid. Help me see how right I am with you. Help me see what you came to do for me. Help me see your love in a, in a, in a fresh way. Because it's in coming to see and experience Jesus for who He truly is that we truly start to experience the freedom from the things that we are addicted to or the, the things that we are facing on a daily basis. We don't break free from addictions and we don't change the fruit on our tree by looking to the fruit. You don't go and change a tree by, by, by taking off all of the apples. If it's, the apple is a bad fruit and then we take some super glue and some pears and we're like, okay, cool, I want to see pears in my life. So I'm going to take some super glue, some pears, and stick them on that apple tree. It doesn't work like that. And in the same way in Christianity, you don't change your fruit in your life by looking and focusing on your fruit. You change the fruit by looking to the root. And your root is Jesus. He's become your source of life. You just need to come to know, the, come to know Jesus, come to discover Him daily, and then you can start uh, bearing the fruit of Christ. This is really one of the, the messages of Christianity that is life-changing and the world needs to hear this, that God is not holding our sin against us. He sees us as holy and righteous. And all we need to do is say, yes, Lord, respond to His grace, respond to His mercies. And when I started to experience this, I felt like the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And I'm closing with this. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus encountering and ministering to the Samaritan woman. And she experiences Christ. She discovers Jesus. And what was her response? She ran to town and told people about this experience. When you, if you, when you experience and discover Jesus for who He truly is, you'll not be able to keep your mouth shut. And so Christianity and our heart for you at Grace Life is not to, to go into the world and, and preach the gospel not knowing the gospel that you're preaching. You preach about Jesus not knowing the Jesus that you are representing. Our heart for you is to discover Jesus. Our heart for you is to discover the reality of Christ in you. Because if you discover that, you'll overflow with love. You'll overflow with sharing with people who are not connected to the life source. I discovered Jesus. I found family. And then I started to experience the abundant life that Christ came to bring me. And so all of this happened through one of these messages. That God is not holding my sin against me. God is not keeping record of my sins. God sees me as righteous because I put faith in Christ Jesus. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca